it, I'm, I'm having a weird disconnect here. I feel like I'm doing stand-up, which I've done, but I'm also podcasting, which I've also done, and I've got a guest, which is throwing me off. The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. They bought their tickets. They knew what they were getting into. I say, let them crash. Geek Counter Geek with Chief Conrad and Elliot Serrano. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Well, maybe it's one of those other shows, like Outer Limits. Or... Confuse the Twilight Zone with the Outer Limits? Do you even know me? Geek Counter Geek number 134. I'm Keith Conrad. And my cohort, Elliot Serrano, recently had the chance to uh, speak and do some interviews at Chicago Podcasters Unite, and we wanted to share a couple of them uh, for the episode this week. The first interview is with Mark Allen Fishman. My name's Elliot Serrano. I'm from uh, Geek Counter Geek Podcast, WGN Radio, and the Patty Vasquez Show. I also have a blog called Geek to Me, and a lot of folks knew. When I freelance for the Chicago Red Eye, I've also wrote for Playboy.com, where I proved that the game Pac-Man actually advanced human evolution. You're welcome. And I have been asked to do a few interviews tonight at Chicago Podcasters Unite. So tonight we're going to lead off with um, someone. Okay, first, for those of you who don't know me, I'm kind of like a, I'm a big deal. You don't know that. Um, but um, later tonight you'll meet some of the other guests who have given me titles such as Chicago's Clark Kent. That's what the Gene Ha, who we'll be talking to tonight, dubbed me. Uh, Lawrence Holmes of The Score said I am Chicago's king of geeks. Which is great, but I don't know. We're in, we're in America. Is this a monarchy? I thought we were a democracy. So I'm still waiting to meet the president of geeks. If there's anyone who's a president of geeks, though, that would be my first guest right here. That's Mark Fishman. Mark, come on up here. Join me. Istanbul, Constantinople. Now it's Istanbul, Constantinople. Been a long time gone. Constantinople. Now it's Thursday light on a moonlit night. Every gal in Constantinople lives in Istanbul, Constantinople. So do you This is the whole show. Yeah. <clears throat> it's funny because um, it, I'm, I'm having a weird disconnect here. I feel like I'm doing stand-up, which I've done. But I'm also podcasting, which I've also done. And I've got a guest, which is throwing me off. So it's like stand-up podcast guesting. I, I've done all three of those You've done all too, those so. three. Really? So anyway, Mark, for those who don't know you... Which would be everybody. <laughs> um, Mark Fishman here is one of the trio that makes up Unshaven Comics, which if you ask me, one of the hardest working comic book creators in Chicago. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Sure. Uh, we've been around now for 10 years, uh, but we've been friends for 25. Uh, as you can see, uh, I'm actually, it's a schizophrenic problem. No, seriously, me and my two best friends from sixth grade. None of them are here right now. Exactly. I noticed. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, one of them moved up to Kenosha, boo. And the other one lives down in uh, the south suburbs with me, but he's a dad like all of us, and he had other things to do, like take care of the kids. 
Wow. Yes. But we've been making comics for 10 years. 10 years. You have uh, books like Sa- Samurnauts? Samurnauts. Give me the pitch for Samurnauts. I'll tell you something. If you, When you go to C2E2 next week, you guys are going to have a booth there. Yep. Kyle mm-hmm. is uh, Kyle, the one of the true. His job is to stand there at the booth the whole time. If you've never been to C2E2 and you walk by the vendors and Artist Alley, you'll always have folks like pitching their wares, their books. Kyle is your pitch man. Yes. And it's like, he'll, you'll walk by, it's this happened to me countless times. I walk by your booth and he'll go, can I tell you about my comic? And I remember the first time I met you guys, Kyle put just that little tinge of pity in there. That's the secret sauce. That's the secret sauce. And I, went, yes. I went, okay, dude, tell me about your comic. Hey, sure. tell me about your comic. <laughs> yeah, too. The Samurnauts is an action adventure about samurai astronauts led by an immortal kung fu monkey fighting zombie cyborg space pirates. Oh, wait, come on. If that's not a pitch, I don't know what is. Okay, so my first question is, why do you guys not have a deal with Cartoon Network? Wish we knew. <laughs> um, you guys have been, you've been working for 10 years, though. Yes. I mean, um, so I'm assuming that you, like, have day jobs? Yeah, you assume right. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Now, I, I do follow Mark a lot on social media, and you always have these great stories on your Facebook page about working as a designer. Yep. Any designers out here today? Any designers out on the interwebs? You're going to love this, these stories. Um, but um, what is it like balancing the two? Basically, I just tell people that I work 18 hours a day. I just wake up, and I go to a day job. I come home. I'm doing the dad job. And then when the kids are asleep, then we start doing all the other jobs, freelance design, doing comic books, all that kind of stuff. And then some, at some point when my hand cramps up and I can't see the screen anymore, I just sleep and the whole thing resets the next day. My, when my hand cramps up, I go to sleep too, but I'm not designing comics or anything. Is this PG? Yeah. Or? I don't know. Is this? <laughs> what are we? No? I did this once at another SMG event where I went blue real fast, and I thought, did Robert cut the feed? I don't know. <laughs> Um, anyway, um, so seriously, so you're spending all this time. I mean, how do you do it? Because we're talking 10 years. Now, you guys have had some, some um, pretty, you know, moderate success. I'm sure you'd like, you haven't, again, broken through into Cartoon Network licensing area, but you've had really successful um, conventions. Yes. You sell a lot of books. Mm-hmm. You have a nice you know, a uh, fan base, slowly building, slowly building. How, how do you guys do it? Uh, it's what you're talking about. It's the pity. That's what we <laughs> lean into. Uh, I mean, it's a, we, we grind pretty hard. I mean, I'll take it back and say, like, so the very first show we did was Wizard World Chicago in 2008. <sighs> yes. Uh, I remember which, that show. That was right after DC and Marvel and all the publishers left. Yeah. But it made getting a table really easy, yeah. especially because they didn't know that I wasn't the Finnish painter who did magic cards. <laughs> wow. So it was awesome. Well, you should have read. Did you ride that wave while it lasted? Then- oh, all 20 minutes of it because <laughs> they, they invited us to the show. Right. And we were so elated. We're like, I didn't know this is how it works. You just say you make comics and they let you have a table. And then we're sitting down and Matt's flipping through the program book. And he goes... Um, I don't think we should be here. And I go, I know we shouldn't, but, but what do you mean? And he flips over and he goes, he points to this magic card that says Mark Fishman on it. And I go, oh, that's uh. not me. And then people kept coming up with their cards. 
And I would have to just explain, like, oh, no, he's an old Dutch guy. Uh, that's why I'm Mark Allen Fishman. And then they, I don't care, sign it. <laughs> Worth the same amount of money. But that first show, we were selling an educational graphic novel. And I, by selling, I mean we were uh, pitching and losing business left and right. But the guy next to us had the shtick down. Uh, he had optioned his book. It was kind of like a crime noir thriller thing that Fox had picked up. So he was just doing it to run out the rest of his stuff. And he just noticed us, us languishing and like hitting our heads on the table. And he was really nice. The second day, he kind of took us under his wing. He's like, guys, you just got to stand and pitch. What's the worst that's going to happen? These people don't remember you. You just, you know, they'll say no. And then Matt and I turned to Kyle and we said, well, you're the writer, so you don't really do anything. You should do it. <laughs> I get that one a lot. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm one of the writers too, but at least I do half the art. So I could just, you know. Right. Right. Uh, Kyle's still taller than me, but somehow he takes orders beautifully. He's in sales. So, uh, yeah, he just stood up and then he sort of developed what we call it. It's like the predator. He doesn't see Elliot. He sees heat signature. Yeah. So it's actually a game. I challenge any one of you here. If you come see us, I, I want to say we're table W5 in Artist Alley. Walk by, get the pitch, and then just do a lap and just watch him pitch you exactly again. <laughs> and just every time you do it, just slap five with me. I'll keep giving you stickers and free stuff. Uh, if you can get, if anyone here can get pitched by Kyle five times without him recognizing you, free book. Oh. Challenge accepted. You included. Uh, it's fun. well. It doesn't help that I always come in a different outfit every time I walk by. We should. We should, unless it's full body paint. We should know it's you. Well, you guys think I'm Horatio Sands, so it happens, guys. Uh, that's not a joke. It's it's hurtful. <laughs> no. Anyway, all right. So wait. So you're working as a comic creator, yep. a graphic designer, and you're a dad too. Yes. All right. You say the greatest stories about one of your kids. Let's say they're very particular about their diet. Uh, is that how we're phrasing it? Yeah. I have a picky eater. Uh, anyone here have kids? No? Congratulations. <laughs> All of you are smart. <laughs> yeah. My uh, now seven-year-old, Bennett, uh, he is like just a mini version of me, just no beard. And he is a picky AF eater. Um, I don't under, it's the most frustrating, beautiful thing to watch because he, I have tried every tactic under the sun. I've tried to be like the millennial dad, like I'm, I'm positive reinforcement, whatever it takes. You know, I, I, I once cut an apple so thin that it dissolved if you looked at it. <laughs> and, uh, for the life of me, uh, two Hanukkahs ago, we were at the dinner table and the wife and I are panicking that if we don't get some kind of fruit or vegetable in him, that the state will take him away. And like I said, I, I, I went through every drawer and I found the smallest piece of fruit we could find. And I put it on a plate by itself and I pushed it in front of him. And I said, if you eat this, we will go to GameStop right now <laughs> and I will buy you five video games. Wow. And his eyes bulged out of his skull and he looked down and he nursed one blueberry for 20 minutes. <laughs> what games did he pick? Oh, uh, we're still waiting. <laughs> Honestly, he got Smash Brothers for Hanukkah and he's still playing the training mode. Like that's 
to him, the most fun you can have is just beating an opponent that can do nothing. <laughs> That's like seven years old. You're teaching him how to go on hunger strikes. Yep. Go on a hunger strike, you're going to get five video games. Next thing you know, he's going to be like upping the ante. Well, the thing is, though, he is my kid. So it wasn't as easy as I'll give you five video games if you eat this blueberry. It was do that and I'll get to the video games. And he sat back and he looked at me dead straight down. He goes, I have enough. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Wow. Luckily, the other two kids eat better. Yeah. See, when I was a kid, my, my parents said, look, you don't eat that. The other ones will eat it, and you're done. You know, I, have, I was first of five. Whoever ate first ate got the most. And if you weren't hungry enough, you didn't eat as much. I, I'm an only child of Jewish parents, which meant I ate out of guilt and shame. <laughs> and so <laughs> did I hear a damn right in the audience? <laughs> look, I am. Yeah. So anyway, um, okay, so tell us what's going on with Unshaven Comics now. What are the things that you guys are working on? What do you want to promote? You're going to be at C2E2 next week. What yes. should we be looking for? Well, like I said, uh, we have the book, The Samurnauts. Uh, we completed the first graphic novel, so we have a 200-page graphic novel where they're fighting those uh, zombie cyborg space pirates. It culminates in an 18-page giant robot fight. Damn right. And uh, that's what we're we're really promoting. I think maybe Kyle has a new book by himself that he's also debuting, but we have a lot of all. He's a writer. Yes. But just just words. He he paid another non bearded person to to make it as an aside, just as an aside. I don't want to stop interrupting you. I want you to continue. But there was one time when I was like, these guys are really cool. I want to hang out with them more. Then they all shaved their beards. And I took it personally. Because, like, you guys, oh, shit, no, not that guy. No. So, I'm sorry, continue. No, it works. Uh, I mean, trust <laughs> me, Kyle takes on this because Kyle normally, for work, doesn't have yeah. a beard. So, every Comic-Con, that's usually most of the people like, huh, you can't be in the, <laughs> we're like, he's still on the logo with stubble. <laughs> but, and so it goes. No, I mean, so we're promoting the Samurnauts. We're promoting anything that Kyle has. We've got posters, like everybody. We do a lot of fun mashups with cartoons. So uh, I think the most recent one I did was Breaking Bad uh, mashed with BoJack Horseman. Oh. Yes. So that one we've got. And then uh, actually for C2E2, we're, we're giving it a try. Matt did an amazing recreation of a, an MC Asher piece, Continuity. And then he replaced uh, all of the figures with little Easter eggs in Comicdom. Ooh. Yeah. So he actually did that as a commission for a fan. But then the fan was really awesome. He's like, you guys want to make a print of that? Go ahead. I know you you did a a my, me and my cat as Pinky and the Brain. I did. Which was, which was a lot of fun, too. My cat, I have one of these celebrity internet celebrity cats. He has more followers online than I do. That's not humiliating at all. And uh, He's also yeah. a lot nicer, though. That's, yeah, he is. But um, so yeah, uh, that that was a lot of fun. Is that the MC Escher one? I know you had talked about you were thinking about making a new uh, mashup. Yes, I, if I have time before C two E two, I'm going to try to get one more done because I hate not having new stuff behind us. And uh, a lot of people love to throw out very complex ideas, thinking again that I have time to do like the entire cast of something as another thing. But uh, I think what sounded... JLA versus Avengers, all as Pokemon. Right. Exactly. That. Uh, (laughs) So I think 
what I'm going to attempt to do is uh, Captain Marvel as She-Ra. Ooh. Relevant, right? Yeah. So. That's called zeitgeist. Yes, that's called selling. That's all we need selling. money. So, um, what up, what's in the future for Samurnauts? This so, beyond the you completed the first story. Yes, you have the graphic novel. What's next? So, uh, what we decided rather than uh, normally the Samurnaut books are kind of split in half. So Matt does all of the flashbacks. I do all of the flash forwards, and then the stories converge because uh, Matt's got this really great painterly style, and then I'm really digital, clean kind of style. Uh, but what we decided after finishing that book for a thousand hours worth of work, that we would give uh, a go at each one of the three of us doing our own Samurai book independently. Mm-hmm. So Matt is working on a 1920s Luchador Samurai book. I am doing a book where all of the Samurai and all the villains are girls, and it's set in the 1980s, kind of a Sailor Moon type thing. And then Kyle is going to go back to the very first team, so like ancient China. And they're going to be fighting, I believe, a uh, dinosaur monkey hybrid called Repsimian. So, but again, that's Kyle's book. So it's just going to be stick figures. (laughs) You're going to have to. So, like, do you guys have a wager? Like, who's going to sell the most books? Uh, I depend. The wager is who will finish first. (laughs) Yeah, because again, Dad's working. Full time. So it's whoever can get the book first, their, their page is done wins. But I think we're going to try to do like old school flip books because who wouldn't want all of those things in one oh, title? That sounds cool. Yeah. All right. So where can fi- folks find you? Find you online, social media, all that good stuff. Unshavencomics.com. Search for Unshaven Comics on Facebook or pretty much anywhere. I think we come up. Unshavencomics.com. This is Mark Fishman. Let's give it up for him. Thank you. Keith Conrad here again, and as much as I hate to interrupt They Might Be Giants, I'd also hate for you to miss the headphones and accessories from TweakedAudio.com. Remember, they have eight colors and styles available, mic'd and non-mic'd versions, designed to sound great for music and talk. They have noise-reducing design and a limited lifetime warranty. Visit TweakedAudio.com, and if you use the discount code GCG, see what they did there, Geek Counter Geek GCG, uh, use it at checkout for 33% off and free worldwide shipping anywhere in the world, even China. Now back to Elliot at Chicago Podcasters Unite. Now his interview with Gene Ha. I am joined by the man who dubbed me the Clark Kent of Chicago media. You said that. You, it's true. Yeah, he said, I am the Clark Kent of Chicago media. I also think he was, he was either trying to flatter me or you were trying to like inspire me to be like a better reporter. I mean, Clark Kent is a great reporter and he's also a giant dork. Thank you. Ah, now I get it. Uh, everybody, Gene Ha. Let's give it up for Gene Ha. Hey, everybody. Hey, baby, how you doing today? You got some time on your mind to find a way. You're on an interactive Oh, oh he's great. You're on a mission. Yeah. Okay, I, okay, that was Poltergeist by Lisa Rain. It's Creative Commons license, and she used to be the webmaster for one of the people who was very influential in, during my college days, despite the fact that I've never taken acid. She was a webmaster for Timothy Leary. Ah, I like how you throw that at the end. I have never taken acid that you know of. No, I mean, it could just be constantly filtered to my water by the CIA, and that's why I am this way. 
Uh, you all see light trails when you look up here, right? No. Okay. I can see the music. Um, so anyway, for those who are not familiar, Gene Ha is an Eisner Award-winning artist. Um, you have uh, worked with some of the biggest names in comics. Uh, most not I, I know you for a lot of stuff, but a lot of folks might know Gene from working on Top Ten with Alan Moore. Thank you. Right. Um, and for those who don't know who Alan Moore is, leave. Just <laughs> out, get. Um, and, um, but you've, you've also now, you've got a, uh, your own book. It's a creator-owned book that you're publishing through Dark Horse, if I understand correct, if I remember correctly. Uh, oh, uh, Lion Forge. Lion Forge. You were, you were self-published, and then you went, da-da-da, now you're at Lion Forge. Your book is called May. Right. Um, M-A-E. It's um, your own baby. It's like you've been doing everything. You write it. You draw it. You, you're putting it out there. You're pushing it out there. Tell us about it. Yeah, I originally colored it even and uh, tweaked that. The one thing in comics I never want to try to do is lettering. Uh, it, is, it is grueling and hard, and I'm going to leave that to professionals. But I am colored, written. This is the first big book where I've actually written everything to myself, which is also a really, really hard job. Um, and it's... Uh, uh, Bill Wilhelm told me this. It's the subgenre of fantasy portal fiction where somebody from our world goes to another world and has adventures there. It's, it's really, it's a great book. I remember when you were first launching it and you were promoting it, you sent me like a PDF of the first issue. And again, um, now if you're not familiar with Gene's work, um, I, I wouldn't call it so much photorealism, but a very hyper-realism to it. I mean, your stuff is just, boof, uh, you know. <laughs> So I spent most of my career fighting against, well, first, uh, I, I got inkers where they didn't quite understand what I was doing with my pencils, so then I began taking over the inking to get the rendering right. Then, uh, uh, I mean, all of you guys are old enough to remember 90s comics coloring. Okay, yeah. if, if, for anyone here who's too young to remember that, it was the dark ages of American comic books coloring, <laughs> where essentially the main thing you needed to know in the 90s is to get a coloring job was how to use the software, not actually knowing how to color or paint anything. So there were some great colorists back then, and there were a lot of really, really bad ones. So I was constantly fighting with the colorists back then. Uh, so I began taking over the coloring. And we've now gotten to a point where the average of coloring talent in comics is actually good enough where I probably would be happy with it. But we're, I'm past that point. I've kind of gone over the edge. I, I, uh, if you go look at May, you can see the fact that I was very influenced from the fact that I grew up in Indiana near the Art Institute, which has that great uh, Impressionist and Post-Impressionist collection. And it just taught me how to see light. And I'd see these colorists in the 90s have, making everything with brown shadows. And it's like, oh, God, no, that's really, really wrong. <laughs> so I've, I focus on really making, uh, visually, uh, the focus is on making just beautiful, beautiful art, but with the just vibrant, glowing colors and stuff like that. And it's gotten, when you say that's hyper-realistic, it's gotten to the point where like, when they show it to editors in Europe, they ask, well, is this computer rendered? Is this like a 3D CGI thing? It's like, no, look at the mistakes. Look at the things that are wrong here. This is human work, but I just know how light reflects. And anyway. No, but it's, it is. It's, it's incredible artwork. I mean, I can just pour over your pages. Like, on, on average, how long do you spend working on a page? <laughs> oh, enough to give an editor a nervous breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So, yeah, I mean, when you're working um, for a major publisher like DC, you've got deadlines you need to meet. Right, um, and it's an assembly line process, so right. I just need to make sure I don't... Um, uh, you know all the, th the old saying of crap rolls downhill. 
Uh, so the writer turns in his script a little bit late, or a lot late, and then the penciler gets it, and then hopefully he gets it done on deadline anyhow, or he gets it done a little bit late or a lot late. And then the inker is under stress, if there's an inker. And then the people who really, really get it are the colorist and the letterer, where it's at the last minute, it's like, uh, we have a whole issue, it takes you, uh, you can do four pages per day. Yeah, you've got a 22-page issue and you've got two days to do it. I've, I've pissed off a few letterers in my time. Yeah. yeah. They're like, yeah. what? And then I go, oh, wait, hold on. I, I made a mistake on this page. Can you change it? No, it's not yeah. going to happen. If there's anyone in the industry that any of us, especially, especially the creators like pencilers and inkers and writers, should be buying beers for at conventions, it's the letterers and the colorists. They are the soldiers who keep this industry moving. They are. They are. Like the, I'd say there's a thing now within reviews of comic books where they're not even acknowledging the colorists or the oh, letterers. You know. Yeah, and they're so... There's a lot of things where, like, I'll see some, I'm not going to name names, but I'll see some inks, like some inked art from someone who's just breaking and think, wow, I'm not sure if that, guy's, that guy or that woman is really ready to break into comics yet. And then I'll see brilliant colorist color on top of that. And it's like, oh, I did not see the potential, but the colorist did. This is genius art and coloring. And it's only because of the colors that, this, that I can see it, that it works. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, okay, so... Gene is very much active, of course, in the art community and in comics. Um, you, you're, you have this gift, I think, for framing things so well for me. Okay, I'm not going to get into what we were talking about, but before we walked into the room, Gene and I and my girlfriend were sitting at a table and we were talking about how people behave on social media. Yeah. And... Um, how do I put this delicately? About how sometimes women, I'm sure many women, many of the women here are familiar with this phenomenon of getting this unsolicited photo. The robocalls of dating. Of an appendage <laughs> that's normally hidden, you know, down there. And we were like, kind of like, you know, my girlfriend's like, why do guys do that? And then Gene is like, well, it's kind of a, uh, a how did you say that again? Okay. Was, so, okay. So the example I gave <laughs> you this. Okay. So there's a thing like as a guy, uh, I don't know of the guys here, but if you've ever had your... Okay. Partner, I know I said we weren't going to talk about it, but I guess we okay. are now. If, so I, <laughs> okay. So it's an issue of boundaries and for guys, it's different. So as a guy, like if you ever had your butt pinched uh, by a woman... It's not a scary thing. It can be rude. It can be a little bit, you can be a little bit like, okay, you shouldn't be doing that. But it's not a thing where you're ever thinking it's scary or you're afraid it's going to lead to something bad. But for women, it's a boundary pushing thing where essentially if a woman doesn't, get, doesn't say no or doesn't able to stop something at, its, at that point, then she gets labeled as a slut and therefore she never has a right to say no again. So it's a lot scarier for a woman because who knows what they're going to do next. If a woman pinches my butt, I'm not afraid anything bad is going to happen afterwards or anyone is going to lose respect for me afterwards. While for women, it's, it can cause this whole downhill slide of just like things will get worse and worse and worse and people will say, well, you didn't object to that. Why did you object to something else later? Yeah, so let's see. Now, that was a great way of framing it because uh, to me, what kind of what I wanted to originally bring up is because again, on social media, on your Facebook page, you will often have discussions about so many different topics and I think if you're not like a comic book artist you'd be a great moderator like a, 
like on a on a um, what was the, the the show on PBS where they discussed the political topics. The with tr- Frontline, no, no, the one that they would parody on <laughs> SNL all the time, McLaughlin Report. You would be like a great John McLaughlin because you can you're good at framing things in certain ways to get people to go, ah, oh, that's true. So my 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 curious my question is like, how did you get to that point of being able to just see things that way and be able to express it that way? Okay. Um. There's an old, uh, I don't, I'm not sure if this is exactly a truism in sports, but it's something that everybody just understands, which is that uh, Babe Ruth would be a horrible baseball coach. Michael Jordan's a miserable basketball coach. Because if you're somebody who's like an absolute genius and, and physically gifted and stuff like that, and you're trying to explain to your players uh, how, you hit, you, how you point and then hit that home run in exactly that direction, or you make that super leap over the head of the defenders uh, while like making faces and waving to the crowd and then doing the dunk. And you can't just say to your players under you as a coach, well, you just jump over their heads and wave at everybody and then make the dunk because (laughs) nobody else can do what Michael Jordan does. So he's a lousy coach. So essentially you want the, like the 30th best player in, or the 500th best player inside of basketball who still made it in despite the fact that physically he kind of sucked. Uh, to be able to do that. So the reason I can explain a lot of social stuff is because I'm somewhere on the Asperger's spectrum. So none of the stuff makes intuitive sense to me. So I had to ask my friends, what the heck is going on? Why is this a problem? Uh, you know, uh, what are you going through? And then I also literally then one day had this groundbreaking experience where I found a communications uh, sociology professor named um, Deborah Tannen, who wrote a book of, uh, that's not what I said, and he's... Uh, just all these books on communication, like how women are different from men communicating, how uh, older people are talk differently than younger people and stuff like that, how people from the East Coast talk differently than people from England and California, and just seeing different communication styles and saying, oh, that's what all these people who have intuitive social skills have been trying to say to me all these years. But now I have a professor who's turned into theories, so therefore academic guy can actually understand it. And it changed my life. Wow. And Deborah Tannen, she's great. I understood Half of that, though. <laughs> you don't have to work on that part. Okay. Well, let me no. give an example. Okay, so this is like a famous thing that Deborah Tannen talked about. Okay, so uh, in a classic discussion of like uh, common female versus male conversation styles, uh, woman is in the car with her husband. Her husband's driving, and the woman asks, "Hey, uh, do you need to take a break to go to the restroom?" And the guy driving uh, kind of thinks about it and says, "Nope." And then he drives by the rest stop. And then his wife is angry because she needed to go to the restroom and she was kind of trying to indicate, I need to go to the restroom. And there's all these, all these subtexts of unspoken things where people will like be curious about like, why is somebody angry at me? And it's because you didn't understand the subtext. And you have... So in other words, women, just tell us you need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> well, <laughs> We're not that bright. We can't figure that out. <laughs> You're saying, don't you need to go to the bathroom? No. Yeah, I mean, but it's, yeah, it's just like... if. It's, you don't even need to go that far, but just like the thing of just like looking at the data. Like if you, if you look at like why it's more difficult for women and more, why it's actually dangerous for women to go dating. For a guy generally, it's not physically dangerous to date. You'll understand, for instance, why women never want to have, like go up to a guy's room and have a drink on their first date. Well, if a guy gets invited up to a woman's apartment for a drink, it's like, yeah. <laughs> Which, it, a rounding back actually to your book, May, which stars female characters. Yeah. 
and you're a, a man writing female characters, which, and I know you've spoken a lot, again, on, and in interviews on social media about your characters having agency and, and having a, a good sense of the, the getting inside these young women's heads, making sure that you're trying to be um, authentic in, in, in how they're portrayed. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? And I'm going to say, I mean, again, I'm not someone who's an intuitive person and stuff like that. Uh, and I've seen intuitive people get into so much trouble because they assume my intuition is usually right, so therefore this new thing, I'm going to be intuitively... Um, I'm just going to drop a name here. I was at the famous Bill Willingham uh, panel where he didn't invite any women, but it was about women, writing women in comics. Oh, <laughs> and, oh yeah. Right and I was invited onto the panel, and then I finally got the, all the schedule stuff, and I was the one who noticed, hey, there are no other women on the panel with us. Or there are no women on the panel with us. So I, like, I immediately contacted Bill, and um, he, was like, he was like, okay. And then a few days later, I contacted the con convention organizer and said, hey, is this a problem? And he's like, holy! <laughs> uh, so, I mean, yeah, but um, anyway, the, the way I write female characters is, I mean, if I want to understand everybody, anybody who's had different experiences than me, it's not just gender or stuff like that, it's about... Uh, life experience, career, uh, nationality, anything where it's like something I wouldn't understand, I'm just going to find somebody who knows and ask them. I'm not just going to assume that I intuitively understand how it works because, I mean, um, anyone here served in the military? And have you seen those things where like a movie or a TV show or a comic book where it's like, you can kind of tell sometimes, that writer has never been in the military. <laughs> you know, it, just ask. Just run it by somebody who knows what they're talking about. There we go. So now, where can people find May, and uh, what can we expect for the future of May? Uh, let me see. Um, I'm doing it by volume, six-issue volumes. So uh, the sixth issue should be coming out soon, and then the graphic novel collecting the second volume should be coming out uh, early summer. Um, you can find more of my stuff at genehaw.com. I'm also going to mention that I had trouble getting in at first because I was on the guest list. There's a <laughs> guest list of 20 people. I was number 10, but the guy at the door was convinced that the handwritten name Gene Ha was Janetta. So when I kept on saying, no, I, I, Gene Ha, I'm on the list. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. The handwriting was perfectly clear. It's just an unusual name. Well, Janetta is more common than Gene Ha because there are approximately like five guys named Gene Ha in the whole world. Ashley, you're fired. <laughs> Her handwriting was gorgeous. It's just an unusual name. And he's not Gene Honda, the, uh, sport, uh, the voiceover guy for the White Sox, although you have great pipes, just like he does. I told Gene, he needs to be in radio. If you're not doing comics, you should be in radio. I learned a little bit of the uh, military NATO alphabet, because uh, I get to that thing where I'm talking to somebody on the phone, I have to say how to spell my name, and I'll say G-E-N-E, -E, and then last name H-A, and then they'll just wait for me to finish off my name. <laughs> And then, uh, so, yeah, Golf, Echo, November, Echo, Space, uh, Hotel Alpha. Hotel Alpha. And where are you going to be at uh, Artist, you're being Artist Alley at C2E2? Uh, I'll be in Artist Alley at E10, like, uh, like this pizza is half eaten. <laughs> All right, everybody, let's give it up for Gene Ha. Gene Ha! Thanks for coming out. Keith Conrad here again. Insert smart-ass comment to end the show. 
preceding was a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Find our other great shows on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at radiomisfits.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Cabotron.